0: Chapter 6, Part 4 from the Sermon Series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Tonight I'll be leaving for South Africa with a group of about 12 people. Uh, some from within about two people from this church, but the majority of the people are actually outside of this church so that will be flying with me to, to South Africa. And I go there and I haven't been there since the pandemic. It's been about four or five years since I've actually been there. And so it's a long time coming for me. But uh, when I go, I try to go on a yearly basis. And the reason, why I'm going, the reason why I like to go that frequently is because God does something real special in my life every time I go there. It's just beautiful. When you meet the people of Zemele, now if you don't know what Zemele is, Zemele is, a, is a is an NGO in South Africa, which literally what their goal is, what that name means in Zulu. It means trying to help people stand on their own two feet. And so when I go and I get to see what they're doing, I get to connect with these beautiful Zulu men and women, especially women, it does something that really inspires me. I'm actually really excited to let you know that the principal of this school will be joining me on this trip. And so she'll be there as well. And I've been trying to get Daniella to go the last couple of years, and she just decided to come, and we're just so excited about that. The hope is that people that are all over the country that go and check this out, that they'll begin to maybe come back and become ambassadors. But I go and I feel so full when I do come back. It's so worth the trip. But there's something about going to South Africa that I absolutely despise. It's excruciatingly painful. Do you know what it is? It's the flight. (laughs) It's a 15 to 16 hour flight that I have to get on, direct flight. And it doesn't matter how many movies you watch. It's still painful, all right? And I'm not built for economy class. I'm a big human being. And to sit in the seat for that law, I have my sleeping pills all ready. I'm re- ready to take. But it's just so painful. Sometimes it can be so excruciating because I don't sleep at all on the flight. But I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go through the pain because I have faith that what I'm going to encounter there is worth it. How many of you would say that about your faith? Would you be willing to go through the pain today because you believe your faith in Jesus Christ is worth it? You see, I don't even know if you think about that because so many times, as I talked about last Sunday, we sort of sign up for this Christianity thing because of the benefits and the perks. But how many of you actually subscribe to a Christianity Where Jesus was really serious when he said to you, if you want to follow me, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. So how many of us would be willing to go through the pain today for our faith in Jesus Christ? It's a question that you got to ask yourself. Because Jesus was asking that sort of like subliminally to these people in a very implicit way, in a subversive way. He said to this crowd and to these disciples that started to follow him outside of the 12, he said basically, how many of you are willing to follow me even if it hurts? And next Sunday you'll see that they all walked away. How many of you would you walk away today if Jesus said, if you want to follow me, that means you've got you to hurt a little bit you're going to have to go through some pain. And so today I want to to just unpack that a little bit. And I want to sort of unpack what what happens, how do we get to this place where we've created a a faith that I'll just call American Christianity, where it's this comfort spirituality? How, How do we usually, unfortunately, default to that pattern and how can we get ourselves out of that so that all of us at the end of the day, we can say, I'll follow you. No matter what, no matter how much it hurts, because having faith in Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. That's where God would love for you to go today, and I'm hoping Jesus is going to encourage you to get there today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. we to look at verses 41 to 59. John chapter 6, verses 41 to 59. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the New Living Translation. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from Heaven. Now, again, we covered the first part of this last week. This is the first of the seven I am statements that's recorded in the Gospel of John. And so now they're wondering, what is he saying? In verse 42, they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it's written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, this is what gets him in trouble. I tell the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, when you taught this, it was the worst day of leadership for you. You lost everyone except for the 12. Because this is hard teaching. And so, God, I pray that you'll just help us that you would take us back to 2,000 years ago when you were teaching this in Capernaum in a synagogue, when there were people that wanted to follow you and when there were people that just came because they knew what you can give to them. And Lord, sometimes we come even to church and we pursue you because we come to you in hopes of getting things from you. But God, we forget what you really call us to in this life. And so God, I pray that today, this will be a real authentic encounter with your spirit. And I pray for anyone that's on the sidelines today, God, that they would know that you're inviting them today to be a part of something, to expand your kingdom, and that they'd be willing to do that. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So what this passage is teaching us is that there are two different realities two different realities. There's a physical reality and there's a spiritual reality. And the truth is the majority of us in this room, including the people that were listening to Jesus' teaching in Capernaum, they were living in the physical reality. Right? It's so hard to live in a spiritual reality. But Jesus, while he lives in this physical reality, he mostly functions and operates in a spiritual reality. And so when he's talking and when he's sharing this to the people, when he's saying that you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's not sharing this in the sense for them, to, so for them to resonate with the physical reality. That's not what he's doing. He's hoping that they would be able to understand what he's meaning, what he means by this in the spiritual realm. But they don't. In fact, they get so offended by what he's saying. Now again, the people that he's teaching are the crowd of people that followed him, the 5,000 people that he fed at the beginning of chapter six. They wanted to follow him because they wanted more food from him because food insecurity was real in the first century. But on top of that, the other people that were there were his other disciples. It wasn't just the 12, but as Jesus was teaching from village to village to village, what was happening was that his disciples were growing. More and more people wanted to follow him. They really wanted to follow him. And when he taught this, when he said, you have to drink my blood, do you realize how offensive that is in the Jewish culture? Because for a Jewish person, you are not to drink any form of blood. In fact, it says that in the Bible. Look at what it says in Leviticus 3.17. It says, you must never eat any fat or blood. This is permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. So when Jesus says, you got to drink my blood, I mean, this is so offensive. And then he's saying, you got to eat my flesh. Eating the flesh isn't just cannibalism, but for a Jewish person, anytime when anyone uses that kind of language, it means that they are hostile to someone, that you would actually consider eating the flesh of someone if you were really angry with them. In many ways, it's it's like this idea of conquering them in that way, that you would actually eat their flesh. And so it's this is very offensive teaching, incredibly offensive. I think it would be offensive today if Jesus came today and said to you, if you want to believe in me, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. If you're not living in a spiritual reality and all you're living is in a physical reality, you're going to have a problem with that teaching. And so what Jesus is basically saying is this, are you in or are you out? All right. All right. That's what he's saying. Are you in or are you out of this discipleship thing? Because if you want to follow me, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. That's difficult to do. That is not easy. And what Jesus is trying to teach them is this. Faith is so much more than you believing in him so that he can give you some things. Faith is so much more than you going to Jesus expecting through your prayers that God will begin to obey you. Faith is about you believing in a a God where you would not expect God to obey you, but where you would begin to say, God, can I live my life where I could begin to obey you? And I will live my life in strict obedience to you to the best of my ability, even though I'm flawed and I'm broken in every way. You see, the truth is, faith is painful. To have faith in Jesus Christ is not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. And that's why Jesus encourages these people, if you want to follow me, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Are you in or are you out? That's it. And that's the challenge he has for you and me today. Are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out today? Are you just going to pursue Jesus for the benefits package that we talked about last week? It's like this insurance package so that we can go to heaven when we die. But what we learn and what Jesus taught us last week and this week is that eternal life isn't just a future that you and I can look forward to. We can encounter eternal life today, but we have to be willing to say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm all in on this. I'm not just going to sit on a sideline. I'm not going to just treat the church as a country club but I'm going to treat it as an outpost for God's kingdom that I will give myself fully to. That's what Jesus is trying to encourage you and I. Are you in or are you out? Now that's hard for our culture because we live in such a surface level. We just come, we attend, we're a part of the church, but we're not really a part of the church. Are we willing to give ourselves fully to this? You see, what is one of the key things that will prevent you and I from truly living this faith out? that God wants you and I to live in, to where it would be obedient. What is one of the key key things? It's obedience. We struggle to obey God, but it's through our obedience, and listen, uh, it was really sad that Tim Keller passed away on Friday. He was a great man of God, he really was. But one of the greatest things he's ever taught, taught me at least, is that I heard him speak once about religion, and he said that every religion teaches us one thing. They all have one thing in common. They teach that in order for you to be accepted by God, you have to obey. But Christianity is different. Christianity teaches you've already been accepted through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that's why you obey. You obey because you've already been accepted. Right? That's the difference between the Christian faith and every other faith that's out there in this world. And so our obedience isn't contingent upon God accepting us. Our obedience, we, we, we live in obedience because God's already accepted us in that profound way. And that's why in verse 45 Jesus says this, it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. There is, if you're not listening to Jesus, there is no listening without obedience. We have to be willing to listen to Jesus, to listen to God. And when we do that, he brings us to Jesus Christ. And we talked about this last Sunday. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to because last Sunday. When God brings Jesus to us, Jesus cares for us. He protects and nurtures us in that way. But what we learn in this passage, because we live in a physical reality, the reason we have to learn to live in a spiritual reality is because the longer you live in a physical reality, when Jesus reveals deeper truths about himself, you know what we have a natural tendency to do? We walk away. And that's exactly what these people did. Jesus is revealing deeper truths about who he is. And what do they do? Next week, you're going to see they all walk away. Worst day in Jesus' leadership. His disciples, they all walk away, except for the 12. When you don't grab onto this, when you don't say, Jesus, I'm all in, what begins to happen is that Jesus begins to reveal more of himself to you, he'll begin to offend you, and you'll begin to walk away. And that's exactly what happened with Peter the apostle, right? As Jesus kept revealing himself more and more of who he is, what did he do eventually? He denied Jesus three times, even though he told him the night before, even if I have to die, I will never betray you. Right? It also happened with Judas Iscariot. As Jesus reveals deeper, deeper truths about who he is, what happens? He walks away, and he betrays Jesus. And so this is a key thing here. Jesus is revealing a deeper truth about himself today, and he's asking you simply this. Are you in or are you out? And being in means that you have to be willing to follow him. You have to know that faith in God isn't just a comfortable thing, but it's going to be hard. It's going to push you many times, but it's worth it. It is truly worth it because God is with you. You're going to be able to see things. You're going to be able to encounter things. And one of the the reason why I love going to South Africa is because I see things that often look like death, but God can breathe life into things like that. And that's what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, there's going to be some sacrifice. But when you follow him with that type of reckless abandonment, there there is a life that you can encounter even in the midst of death. And that's a beautiful thing. But the greatest barrier that gets us there, the greatest barrier for us having faith in Jesus Christ that leads to obedience, you know what it is? It's our doubt. It's our doubt. Do you doubt Jesus today? Just be honest. Do you doubt him? Because I think a lot of us doubt him a lot more. Right, And that's what the people were do. Look at verse 41. The people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who know his father and mother? How can he say, I came down from heaven? They were doubting him. They were doubting him. And our doubt is tough. When you and I begin to doubt God, when we start to doubt things, it often bleeds into our faith in God. And that's a dangerous place to be. That right? is a real, real dangerous place to be. Uh, back when I was a senior in high school, God called me to be a pastor. And when God called me to be a pastor, man, I was so excited because it was one of those few times I actually heard from God. I said, you got it. I'll do it, God. I was really excited about it. But then I went into college. And I just thought, no, 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 no. I might have heard God wrong. I think I doubted, I doubted God. I said, I don't think I heard him correctly. And so I just said, you know, like, I thought to myself, I was like, I don't like studying. Pastors have to study. I'm not a very studious person. I am not a natural communicator. I don't do well when I'm up in front and doing public speaking. And I do a lot of sinning. I just can't be a pastor. And so I talked myself out of it. And for four years, I didn't go into ministry. And by the grace of God, he was able to call me back into ministry. And I'm so grateful for that. But the doubt often leads us to question and to walk away from God. And what it really does is that it causes us to live a disobedient life. Because we don't believe our faith is enough. We don't believe having faith in Jesus is all you're gonna need to take any step that he might be calling you and I to do today. Jesus is saying to the people, are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out, right? How do you know if you're really doubting a lot? How How do you get to a place where you stop doubting? It's the only thing I have for you today. The only thing I have for you is this. You have to stop complaining. you got to stop complaining. Now listen, I don't think having doubts about God is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I don't think that's a a wrong thing. If you go to God and say, God, I'm struggling to believe in you, I am not sure, that's good that you can be that honest with God because oftentimes in that type of engagement, God will come and minister to you. But that's not the kind of doubt what these people were going through. These people were explicitly taking their doubts to have less faith in Jesus Christ. That kind of doubt is bad. And when you and I begin to doubt God in that way, when we begin to doubt him in such a way we begin to question if he's really God or not in our lives, or we should really follow him, then we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. But for a lot of us, it's a progression. And that progression usually happens as your complaints keep growing on a regular basis with God. So we gotta stop complaining, because that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 43. Look what he says in verse 43. He says, stop complaining about what I said. Stop complaining about what I said, right? And so that's a real teaching that you and I have to em- embrace today. We have to be willing to stop complaining. So, what are you complaining about today? What are some of the things that you might be complaining about? Will you be willing to stop? Because if you're not careful, if you don't stop complaining, what that will eventually become is that it will become doubt, and that doubt will lead you to walk away from your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous place for us to be, it's a dangerous proposition. For us to have. And you see that throughout the entire Bible. I mean, you see in the Old Testament that they were crying out to God in the wilderness for manna. Right? They were complaining because they didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough manna. And so they were complaining to God about that. God, we want more food. We want more manna. They were complaining. And then we go to the New Testament. And what happens in the New Testament? The manna is standing right in front of them and they're still complaining. Right? The manna is standing right in front of them and they're still complaining. And then what about us today? What about us? Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he is still living. He is our God and our King. And we still complain. We still complain. We do that all the time, don't we? We complain. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, Your complaints will continue to form deeper doubts about who God is. And then you're going to walk away from your faith in him. And I've seen it happen all the time. And so what are you complaining to God about today? Will you stop complaining? Will you stop complaining? Will you be willing to listen and say, God, I'm all in. Whatever you want me to do. Because Jesus reminds us again in verse 45. He says, it's written in the scriptures. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Faith in God is not easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. Obedience is hard. It's not an easy thing. But it's worth it when we do. Our complaining will create greater doubt. And then it's hard for us then to really believe in Jesus. So the first thing I want to encourage you is this. Will you stop complaining to God about how hard it is to forgive somebody who's hurt you? Will you stop complaining about that? Now listen. I know it's a process. I know we have to. I know we have to lament and grieve and have all the, and have that opportunity in our lives, you know, and go through that. But will you stop complaining? And say, God, I'm not going to forgive this person because you know very well in the Bible, Jesus says, to the degree that my Father will forgive you, will be the degree to you forgive other people. Because if you keep complaining and saying, God, I'm not going to forgive this person. What you're doing, because Ephesians teaches us, you're giving Satan legal rights to your soul. And so, if you keep complaining that you're not going to do it, your doubt of God is going to get greater. And then, you know what's going to end up happening? You're going to walk away from your faith in God. That's going to happen. I guarantee you that will happen eventually over time. Some of you complain that you don't have enough money, some of you are complaining that you don't have enough money. and You want God to keep providing for you in certain ways. Listen, I know the majority of us in this room, maybe there are a few exceptions, but the majority of this room, you have food to eat every day and you have, more, you have another pair of clothes than what you have on right now. That's all God promises us. He promises to provide for our needs and not our wants. And a lot of times we go to him and we want God to provide for our wants. Do you know how dangerous that is? Well, you'll begin to think who God might be if he's there just to provide for your wants. Now, I know some of you have gifts. Some of you are talented, and you can make a lot of money. That's great. Go for it. But give to the kingdom of God. But God is here to provide for your needs, not your wants. And so don't go and stop complaining to God that he's not providing for the wants that you want. He's not. That's not what he's about. He's about providing for your needs. And the more you complain about that, the greater your doubt will be because you're going to start comparing yourself to other people and then you're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to walk away from my faith in God. It's too painful to be a Christian. It's too painful to be a Christian. Some of us, we complain to God about his teaching on human sexuality. And we know it's hard in this day and age because there's such an openness to human sexuality today, right? And a lot of you are afraid to be canceled in this culture because you're afraid to attain the biblical values of how God sees sex and how God sees human sexuality. And you don't think that perhaps maybe that if you sort of voice your thoughts about what God is saying in the scripture, you're afraid of something might happen to you. You're afraid you're going to get canceled, that you might be persecuted in this day and age. And so you complain about that, and the more you complain about it, eventually it's going to cause you to doubt God. I've seen it happen all the time. I've heard people say those words to me eventually. I've met married couples that are struggling in their marriage where they believe that because their spouse is not providing for them sexually, that they believe it's okay for them to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend on the side. And they'll say this. They believe it, and they go for it. And they start to complain. It starts with complaints. And then eventually, over time, they just say, I don't believe in God anymore. I used to believe in God, but I don't believe in God anymore. And they walk away from their faith in God. Our complaint, if we're not careful, will turn into doubt. Sometimes we're afraid that people might say hurtful things to us because we live in such a pluralistic society today. And sometimes we're afraid to say, no, I'm a Christian. Jesus is the only way to heaven. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus is the only way to heaven, but we're afraid to say that because we want to sort of be pluralistic. We want to believe that all pathways lead to God in that way. And so we complain. We say, that's not fair. I can't say that, God. And the more we complain about that, the more we do that, the more we begin to doubt, and the more egalitarian we start to feel and say, you know what? All faiths lead to God. That's dangerous. We complain about things like that, Right? We complain. And then this is what I hear a lot of these days from people, especially people in the church. We say, man, the church is so messed up. Of course the church is messed up. It's full of messed up people. What do you think? You think the church is going to be this utopian society? That's some messed up people in the church. We're all messed up. And I see that people use that as an excuse. They complain. say, church is messed up. I always get hurt at church. So I'm just going to attend. I'm not going to fully give myself to the church. And the more you complain about the church, eventually what's going to end up happening is that's going to grow in you having greater doubt that Jesus is the head of the church. Because that's what it says in Ephesians. Jesus is the head of the church. It doesn't matter how messed up you might think the church is. Jesus still wants to be the head of every church that's in this world. And I'm going to say this right now. If you think you're a disciple and you're not fully invested in the church giving yourself fully to the church, being a committed partner, member, whatever the church that you might belong to, if you belong here, you're not a disciple because you're not choosing to be the head, be a part of the head of the church. You're just kind of attending and you're not fully committed. You're pretty much out. You're not in when it comes to being a part of the being a part of something where Jesus is the head of. Jesus is basically saying to all of us, are you in or are you out? Sometimes we say, you know what, I'm not going to believe in faith anymore because we look at our political leaders. And we, and we look at some of these Christian leaders that sort of are very vocal about their political stance. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. And just because some politicians proclaim their faith with a particular party or some Christian pastors do that, it doesn't mean that you have to lose faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not even an independent. All right. Why are we looking to other people and using that as an excuse to complain about Christianity? Why do we have to do that? Because if we keep doing it, our doubt is going to grow more and more and more. It's impossible, isn't it? It's so hard when we do that sometimes. Sometimes we complain all the time and it's hard for us to kind of believe that God might be calling us to do certain things. Sometimes it's challenging as Christians to be leaders in our work and it's hard for us to sometimes submit to our employees as a manager. That doesn't happen today. Some of you are executives in your company. Why don't you submit to the authority of your board even though you don't believe where your board is going? We complain about that. We complain to God about that all the time. And the more we complain about things like that, the greater our doubting God becomes. And then we end up walking away from our faith in God. It's sad. It really is. Be careful what you're complaining about today. Because if you're not careful, that's going to turn to doubt. And eventually, it's just a matter of time before you're going to be like all these same people. Next Sunday, you'll see, they all walk away from God, except for the 12. It all started with a little complaint. Because Jesus wasn't giving them food. That's all they wanted was a meal, and he wasn't doing it. He wasn't the kind of God that they were hoping he would be. He says, if you want to follow me, you got to drink my blood, eat my flesh. Are you in or are you out? Faith hurts. It's not easy. It requires all of yourself. And it requires you to have this undivided devotion to God, saying, I am in no matter what, no matter how much it hurts. I am in. First fifty-seven. I close with this: I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, as your ancestors did, but will live forever. Amen. I hope that all of you, as you say you're in, you will live forever. Because Jesus says, anyone who listens to the Father, God will bring them to me for protection. And for nurture. That's important. One of the 12 people that are going with me to South Africa is my mom. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. So, uh, this is her. (laughs) This is her 10 years ago. I took her to South Africa 10 years ago with me for the first time. And she absolutely loved it. She said it reminded her of her South Korea when she was a kid in the 50s. And so she, she said, Peter, if I can speak English, I would be a missionary. I would live in South Africa and do whatever, do whatever they need me to do to help out. That's how much she loves it. And she said to me, she said, Peter, before I die, I hate when she says it. She's guilt tripping me. She goes, Before I die, can you just take me one more time to South Africa? How could I say no to that? So I'm taking it with me tonight. I'm a little ambivalent about it, I'm gonna be honest. Because my mother is a fundamentalist Christian. I have to watch myself when I go on these trips. I can't drink any wine. And what I love to do when I go to South Africa is I love to buy wine. You know it's like $2 a bottle there, US dollars, and it's some of the best wine you ever have. I usually bring back 10 bottles with me because I like to give them out as gifts. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that because my mom is coming with me. She's going to start criticizing me. Pastors do not buy this kind of wine. Pastors don't give wine as gifts. So I'm just preparing myself emotionally to have to deal with whatever she has to say to me. I'm excited to go with her, though. I am. I am. Why do I do it? I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. I really wouldn't. This woman has sacrificed everything for me. Everything. When we were little, many of you know this story. My mother grew up as an orphan, so she didn't have parents growing up. This was us in Queens, in Elmhurst, Queens. And I don't know why we wore uh, traditional Korean clothes, but we did, <laughs> and we took pictures. Uh, look how short that one was on me, man, the pants. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how old I was when my mom brought that. But uh, anyway, But, uh, you know, that's a picture that we take, but my home was anything but the smiles that you see on that picture. Because my father, when he would come home drunk, he would be an incredibly violent man. And my mom would always be the person. She knew that she would be the one to sort of let herself be the punching bag for the family and hopefully that his aggression or his anger would subside just through her. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. And so then he would come to us. My mother took all the beatings for us. She should have divorced them. And this is the plight of an immigrant family. And maybe we'll talk about that today at the luncheon. But, you know, an immigrant, my mother couldn't speak a lick of English. She didn't have anything to work and to provide for her children. She didn't have, so she felt like she was forced to stay. She should have left them. And she told me one time, and I didn't know this, I was so little. She said she packed her bags one evening because she said the beating was so overwhelming for her that she packed her bags that night, just not a lot of clothes, but just some stuff. And she was getting ready to leave. It was really late at night. But before she exited our apartment in Queens, she just looked at us one more time in the bedroom. And she said that when she saw us sleeping soundly, she said there's no way she could go because she knew the pain and what it was like to grow up without a mom. And that woman decided, made a very difficult choice that day She said, no matter what, I can't leave this man to my kids because he'll kill them. And so she stayed. And I asked her, I said, how were you able to deal with all of this? And she said, there's only one thing that helped her. And it was her faith in Jesus Christ. She prayed every day that God would help her. My mother is one of the most faithful people that I know. Out of all the years that I've been with her. My mother has issues. Please, don't hear. She's got major issues. All right? (laughs) She's not a saint. I've never heard her doubt God once. I've never heard her complain to God once. No matter what she encountered in her life. And I wouldn't be standing here today it wasn't for her because there was a time in her life I don't believe Jesus would ever say are you in or out are you going to stay with this man or go?" I don't think he would ever present that with her because of what she had to go through but she made the choice and she said God would you help me give me the strength to endure she said I'm all in are you in or are you out today Because you can just kind of live the healthy, quote-unquote, safe Christianity. Or you can say, you know what, God? I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm going to drink your blood. And I'm going to eat your flesh today. Are you in or are you out? Will you stop complaining and stop doubting and trust in your God and have some faith in him? That's my hope and prayer for you. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so I'd like for you to answer that question. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are in here. Are you in or are you out? Moses was in at the age of 85. When one would think that would be the end of life, he gave himself fully to God and said, I'm in. Do whatever it is you want me to do. Even with a speech impediment, he decided to go to Pharaoh and eloquently speak to him and say, you got to let God's people go. Are you in today or are you out? Would you go before God and do what you need to do if your heart is telling you to go all in? And then I'll close this in prayer. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So God, I pray for all those in this room that have chosen to be in, get to that place where they're saying I'm all in Jesus no matter what no matter how painful this faith might be I'm all in and so God would you just guide us for those who've made that decision would you help us Lord to follow you with a reckless abandonment God I pray that our faith in you will become so barbaric so untamed that we would no longer put you in a box so that we can live in comfort, but that we're willing to go through whatever it takes because we understand the true joy that comes through obedience and having faith in you. God, make our faith real. I pray that it would not just be something that's safe and comfortable, but it will be real. And I pray for anyone in this room that are going through a lot right now and they're struggling. God, I pray that you'd really comfort them, but strengthen them to believe in you, to trust in you, So God, that they would be able to move forward in their lives with you and that their faith in you would continue to grow and believe that you truly are the Lord of their lives. So God, be with us as a church. You present this teaching in a synagogue 2,000 years ago and not one person stayed back except for the 12 disciples. They all left you that day. I pray that we would not leave you and that we would say, I will give myself fully to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.